Good morning. Hope you've had a great weekend so far. I'm really glad you're here today to start a new week with us here at Great Oaks. Worshiping God together like God's people have done for 2,000 years. We have a lot of visitors with us this morning. We're glad you're here. Uh, we hope we get to meet you before you leave today. We always like our visitors to know who we're trying to be here at Great Oaks. We are trying to simply be Christians, undenominational followers of Jesus Christ. We think that's what God calls His people to be, so we try to do that. We try to just follow the Bible. We try to make it part of our lives. We believe in Jesus. We believe in His Word. And if you have any questions about us, any questions about Christianity, please let us know. Uh, the fact that you're here tells us you're trying to move toward God just like we're trying to. And so if we can help you in any way, please let us know. Glad you're here today. Have an introduction before we start our lesson this morning. Hunter Brockman. Hunter, can you stand up just a second? Let everybody see you. I almost laugh as I say it because Hunter's been here a while. But Hunter met with our elders a few weeks ago. He's an adult now to let them know that he would like to be part of the Great Oaks Church family officially. Uh, so Hunter, you can have a seat. I, they laughed at you being an adult, Hunter. I did not laugh at you being an adult. That was on them. Uh, Hunter, Hunter first got connected with us in high school. Uh, Hunter's one of our favorites. Uh, he was friends with Ethan Smith. Joseph and Melissa's son, they played football together, I believe, and so Ethan invited him to come to some youth events, and he began coming and kept coming, and he was baptized um, that, on a youth trip back in 2018, and so he's been around our Great Oaks family ever since, but as I've said, now graduated and into the college years and wanted to officially identify as part of the Great Oaks Church family. He is a junior at Freed Harbor University. He's majoring in accounting, and after that, plans to continue his education with a master's degree. Right now, he's working at Coastal Fish Company here in town as a server. He enjoys sports. He's a Tennessee Titans and a Memphis Grizzlies fan. And if you have not met Hunter, I hope you'll meet him because uh, he is always encouraging, always have, has good things to say, always has good things going on. Hunter, glad you're here. Uh, meet Hunter if you haven't. Let's have a prayer together, and then we will jump into our lesson for the day. God, you're an amazing God who's loved us and guided us, and you've always been there for us. Thank you for all that you've done in our lives, and please open our eyes to see even more of all those things that you've done. God, we're thankful for Sunday mornings to come together to worship, to open your word together and learn from it. Uh, God, we're thankful today for so many things. We're thankful for Hunter. We're thankful for his life, the way you've guided him. We're thankful that he's part of our church family. I pray, God, we can serve you together alongside one another for many years to come. Lord, today as we study, I pray that what is said be what you want to be said, and that our faith will grow from it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our theme for this year has been, Let Us Arise and Build. It comes from Nehemiah chapter 2. We began our year studying through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. It is a recommitment theme. We are challenging ourselves to get up spiritually and start building our faith, whatever, wherever our faith is at. If it's lower than it used to be, if it's better than it used to be, wherever it's at. We want to be building our faith very intentionally. And so we're doing some branch-off themes from that, especially here in the second half of the year. And the one we're doing here in July is called Building Our New Self in Christ. That is something we don't do by ourselves. That is something we do with the help of God. We're trying to build our new self in Christ. And our main passage for July is Colossians 3, 8 through 14, if you want to write that on the outline. If you remembered it from last week and already wrote it down, Extra credit. Good for you. We're going to be in that passage for July, just walking through a few of the things. There's many more, but a few of the things that we are transforming in Jesus Christ. Because that's what the whole series is about. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, it's where this whole thought begins in Colossians. He says, we're buried with Jesus in baptism. 
So when we're baptized, we're buried. We go all the way in the water. It's what, it's, it was a burial. And all the way in the water, you're raised up with Him through faith in the working of God. God is working in baptism. We don't work in baptism. God works in baptism. And so we're raised up through faith. And so we must have faith when we're baptized. But all that, I just want us to notice, there is a burial. The old life, the old self is, is committed to be done away with. And we rise up to walk a new life. And there are several great passages, including one right here in Colossians that we're looking at this month, that talk about the old self, new self transformation that we are then working on the rest of our lives after baptism. And so starting in verse 8, this is what Elijah read just a second ago. He says, Now you also put them all aside, anger and wrath. We start our series last week by looking at the challenge of anger and how to get that out of our lives. Malice, we'll come back to that in future weeks. Slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self. And what is the new self supposed to be doing there in that verse? Who is being renewed, we're being renewed, transformed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. The image of the one who created, that, that's our goal. The God who created us, that's who we're trying to look more like. And that happens in Jesus Christ. Sins washed away in baptism, rise to walk a new life, life transformation in Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to talk about another, I think a challenging one. Changing how I speak. It impacts our life so much, and it's something that is transformed in Jesus Christ. Um, And we're doing that because that's that next little section. As you read through Colossians 3, I underline some of them here. You have slander, you have abusive speech. We'll talk about what that means as we go through it. Do not lie to one another. So that next little section, 8 through 10, begins talking about how we speak. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. If you see on the outline, I have three main sections. We're going to talk about the challenge, why this is difficult, why it's a big deal. We're going to talk about the old self way of speaking. And we'll talk about the new self way of speaking. Why it's a challenge, old self way of speaking, New self way of speaking. That'll be our lesson this morning. Let's talk about the challenge. Why, why is it such a big deal? Why is this part of the Christian transformation? And why is it worth a Sunday morning lesson for us all to think about for about 25 or 30 minutes? Well, a couple of verses that get my attention in the Bible that remind me what a big deal it is how I talk. Write down James 3, 2 through 5. And really, if this is something you're reflecting on in your life, read the whole chapter of James sometime. Sit down and, and read through that because... There's so many things in James 3 that talk about how we speak. Look at what it says starting verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. You know, we are, we are sinful people. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. If I understand that verse right, he's saying if you could control the way you talk... You can find the self-control with the help of God to control your whole life. Like it, It's that much of a challenge. It's that difficult. Because we say so many words every day. We have so many conversations. We talk with people. We're going to mess up along the way as we say all those things. That's, that's going to happen. He says, if you can just control that, well, you can control your whole life. And then he gives these great analogies, starting verse 3. Now, if we put the bits into horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. You might have seen that in a horse. They put a, put a bit in its mouth, and you just you move that bit, and the whole, this giant, powerful animal moves where you take the bit to go. It, it follows you. Look at ships also, verse 4. They're great. They're driven by strong winds. 
but they're still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Why does he give the analogy of a bit to a horse and a rudder to a ship? Verse 5, he says, The tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. The way you speak is going to guide the course of your life in a lot of ways. I think that's what those analogies are saying. Just like a horse is guided, just like a ship is guided by the rudder, the way you speak is going to direct the way your life goes. But notice what the rest of verse 5 says. If you're not careful, the way you speak can tear down your life also. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And then the rest of that passage goes on to talk about how the tongue can be a fire if you're not careful that it destroys people's lives. So the tongue is, the way you speak, it's going to direct so much of your life. This is a really big deal in how we live and how we live in Christ. Another passage to write down, Luke 6, verse 45. And let me just read the part I've underlined here. This is from the teachings of Jesus. Jesus says, Our mouth speaks from what fills our hearts. This isn't the only place Jesus says that, but this I thought was a good representative verse. So when I'm thinking about, okay, how can I speak better? How can I speak more like a Christian? I've got to work at the heart level. I can't just work cosmetically. That, 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 may, that may help. You know, okay, let me work on this. Let me work on that. This particular word, this particular whatever. But ultimately, I'm going to have to dig into my heart. And that's going to require the help of God. That's going to require all of us in a very intentional way, even this morning, saying to ourselves and to God, God, I want to speak in a way that honors you. I don't want to speak in ways that dishonor you. I want to transform the way I speak. God, that needs to happen with your help at the heart level because that's where our words come from. They come from our heart. That's what Jesus says. So that's why this is such a big deal. Second thing then, let's think about the old self. So our first big thing we said, why is this important? Second thing, how does the old self speak, that those things we need to get rid of? Well, let's just look right here in this passage. There's others, but we'll just look at this passage. First of all, slander. You see there in Colossians 3, verse 8. Write down slander if you're keeping the outline with us. What is slander? Slander is trying to tear someone down. I think in particular when they're not around you is how I've always understood slander. So when someone's name comes up in conversation, how do you talk about them? Are you always critical? Are you trying to make them look bad? Are you trying to tear them down in some subconscious way to, to make yourself look better? Um, to me, how you talk about people when they're not around becomes a golden rule type of issue. In Matthew 7, 12, we call it the golden rule. Treat others the way you want them to treat you. That, that's, that's what Jesus says is the highest ethic. I want to treat others with the same love I want to be treated with. So I try to ask myself, I'm not always great at this, but I try to be. But when, I, when, when someone else comes up in conversation and they're not around, I try to ask myself, if I were that person, how would I want to be talked about? And, and even if there's something wrong that needs to be said, even if I have to say something critical, how, how would I say this in a way that still shows I care about this person? I'm not just trying to tear them down. I'm not just trying to be unkind to them. I need to ask myself, how do I talk about people when they're not around, and why? Why? Maybe there's, a, maybe there's a heart issue there that I need to think about. A second thing right here in this passage uses the word abusive speech. Before you write that down, I want to look at some ways some other translations uh, do that. Abusive may not, the way we think of abusive now in the English language may not be uh, what that word is saying. Here's how the English Standard Version calls it. It says obscene talk. Here's how the New King James translates it, filthy language. To me, I think that's the best rendering of what this word is describing. 
is, and so let's write that down. If, if you want to write abusive language, it's your outline. Do what you want to do with it. But, but, but filthy language is what I had in mind. That's what I've got written on my outline. Filthy language is what we are taking off the old man. What is, what is filthy language? Well, let me put another old self, new self passage up here. This one from the book of Ephesians that helps, helps us maybe wrap our minds around this a little bit. Verse 29 says, Let no unwholesome word, and you notice the star is what the New American Standard has, that that word literally means rotten. So you want to picture like a rotten apple or a rotten, a rotten word. Um, that anything that is, that is rotten and filthy and gross and ugly, um, spiritually speaking, that is spiritually rotten. It says, don't let any of those come out of your mouth. And then in just a few verses later in Ephesians, still in that old self, new self passage, verse 4 is a challenging verse for us. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Now what do all those mean? Rotten word, filthiness, coarse jesting. What, what is the Bible describing? Maybe some better translations of that too, by the way. But what is the Bible describing there? Let me put a few things up here. First of all, I do think this includes curse words. Every now and then you'll talk to somebody and they'll say something like, well, the Bible doesn't really say you know, which words are wrong, right? So maybe, you know, maybe it's okay to just say, just say whatever you want. There's not a list of things you can't say. Uh, I believe every culture has words that we know are, are curse words, are filthy words, rotten words. Christians shouldn't be saying those. Let's not make excuses to ourselves. Let's not say, well, everybody else says it, or, you know, it's just a word, it's just a word in the dictionary. Uh, let's not make excuses. Um, the Bible says don't want any unwholesome word, any rotten word come out of your mouth. I think this does include what we would sometimes call dirty jokes in our culture. There are some jokes that Christians shouldn't be part of, that Christians shouldn't be telling. Let me go back to it there in verse uh, Ephesians 5, verse 4. I think that's what he's describing there. When he says, no filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting. He's not saying you can't joke or can't be silly. He's describing a certain type of, of silly talk and coarse talk, as the New American Standard says it. And I think that's what he's talking about, is there's just some, some things that Christians shouldn't, shouldn't be joking about. Um, and uh, if you have questions about that later, we can talk about it. But maybe that's pretty obvious, the things we shouldn't be. Third, I think hurtful words. So if we use that term abusive um, in the way we use it in Colossians 3.8, let me go back to my list here. There are some things Christians shouldn't be saying to each other. We, we shouldn't be hurtful. You know how to hurt people. And, um, and, and that's, that's what we, when we have conversations with each other, we know how to hurt people. And the sad thing about it is, the people closest to you are the ones you know even more how to hurt. Because you know, they're, you know the way they think, you know the way they try to do things, you can see, you can read their actions and their motives a little bit more. Uh, if we're not careful, we can say things that really hurt people. That's the old self way of doing things. That, that's, that's, the, that's the unchristian way of doing things. We don't want to be people defined by this. And then one more, one more thing I, I see in this passage, verse 9, do not lie. If you're making your list of old self ways of speaking, uh, lying's another one of those. That's what we're trying to take off. Why would we lie? We, we just, when you stop and think about that, why would I lie at all? There's usually some sort of selfish self-preservation thing going on there. That maybe I want you to like me more or, or think I'm... I'm better than I am, so I, I lie about my story or lie about what I've done. Uh, maybe, I, maybe I just want to get out of trouble, so I lie about what I've done to try to hide it in some way. There's usually some sort of selfish heart motive that's going on if I'm lying. 
And here's the thing about lying. It hurts relationships. Um, my experience is when you're around people who are lying, they, they often don't seem to notice that everyone noticed they're lying, or at least some people do, that it's obvious from the outside that there's, that there's dishonesty going on. Um, and so it hurts relationships. It hurts your integrity and example. Uh, Christians shouldn't be people that people can't trust because they don't know if we're really telling the truth or not. Um, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your yes be yes, your no be no. What he meant by that is you be the type of person that when you say it, people know, hey, they're, they're being honest about that. Uh, and it hurts our heart. If I lie, I'm, I'm letting the, the darkness of sin become a bigger part of my life and a bigger part of my heart. So it, it changes us in very negative ways. It changes our relationships, our example, and even our spiritual hearts. Let's not be lying. Let, let's be people. That's an old self way of speaking. I want to be, to the best of my ability, honest in what I'm saying as best as I can. So we've seen why it's important. We've seen uh, why the old self, those things in the old self that this passage says, don't, don't let those be part of you. Let's get those out. How should we be speaking as people who have been saved by Jesus Christ, who are being transformed by Jesus Christ? Well, right here in this section, in our verse, what does verse 10 say? We put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. We're trying to help our new self, including our speech, be more like God, be more like Jesus Christ. So let's write that one down. As Colossians 3.10 challenges us, I want to ask myself, how would Jesus speak? How would he talk about this person we're talking about? How would he address, even so, I mean, Jesus talked about hard things. So it's not like Jesus can't, you can't talk about hard things. How would, how would you address hard things as you're talking to someone, the way Jesus would address difficult things? You want to try to ask yourself that question. How would Jesus speak? Would he say this? Would he not say this? Is this something he would joke about? Is this something he would not joke about? Um, and, and so it's a, it's a very Jesus-centered way of thinking. But a new self-passage, the one in Ephesians we looked at just a minute ago, gives us some more of the, the what we're trying to do better connections with this in Ephesians 4. We read just a second ago, and we focused on that top line in verse 29, where he says, let no unwholesome word, no rotten word proceed from your mouth. What does he say should proceed from our mouth? A word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. You notice I've got a little mini um, list there on your outline for what God wants our words to give us from this passage. Let me underline that first one. Edification, I've described it this way, encouragement. I think that's what edification is. Edification means to build up. You're building something. And so if I'm if I'm edifying, I'm, I'm encouraging you to be, to be more, to be better. You have people in your life who saw good things in you, and they encouraged you in them. Not, not just anything, but good, the real things, the good things, maybe even spiritual things. Where they said, you know, I, 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 see that, I see good things. I see God's gifts in you. I see a love for God in you. I see you trying to follow God in these ways that are good. Those are encouragements. Now let me go back to that verse because it said, Edification according to the need of the moment. So there's some wisdom in how I try to encourage. I try to ask myself, okay, what is, what is the need for the moment? That's what Paul's challenging us to do. To try to say, is this a need for someone who's struggling? They need to know that, that they're loved and God loves them and I care about them. Is this someone who's trying to live for God? And they need to know, hey, you're on the right path. Keep on going. 
I want my words to be encouraging words. Our words impact each other. God made us social people. Our words really do make a difference. You, you think about words people said to you. I do. You think about words people said to you, and they affect you in some way. I want to be someone who is giving encouragement. Not the old self way of speaking. The new self way of speaking. Encouraging others. What about the rest of that passage? It says, so it will give grace to those who hear. Let's write that one down. I want my words, God wants my words, to give grace. Now what is grace? Grace is used in different ways in the New Testament. Sometimes it means like salvation. So my words aren't giving salvation. That's not what he's talking about. Sometimes the word grace means God's blessing. And I think that's what he means here. I want my words, you want your words as a Christian, to give God's blessing to the people we're around. Because words can, they can tear people down. We've already said that. But they can also make people better. They can also make people want to follow God more because they've been around you. They've heard the way you talk, heard the way you don't talk. They've heard the kind things you say, heard the way you talk about people. Well, I want my words to give grace. God wants my words to give grace to those who hear. And then one more from just a few verses later. We looked at this verse also in Ephesians 5, 4 about things we shouldn't say. Then he adds what we should say, but rather giving of thanks. Let's add that one down there also. God wants my words to give thankfulness. We try to encourage our kids um, as parents to say please and thank you and all those kindnesses that you say to people. And what we're trying to do there, we're trying to build some humility. We're trying to build some appreciation. Uh, God wants us to carry that attitude with us throughout life. That's not just a children's thing. That, that's, a, that's a humble, thankful way of looking at the world. God wants my words to give thankfulness. Express appreciation to people who are, who are making a difference in your life. Express appreciation for good things that you see in people's lives. God wants our words to give blessing to those around us, not to tear each other down. This is a challenge. We say so many words every day. It affects our life so much. Part of the Christian transformation we are trying to become, with the help of God, speaking people who speak more like Jesus would speak and less like our old self would speak. Your words will make a difference in people's lives. You will either tear them down, make them better, or make them worse. What I hope we've seen this morning, they make a difference. There's an old self way of speaking that we got to get rid of. Don't let the world convince you to just go along with the way the world talks. Don't do that. But there is a new self, better way of speaking in Jesus Christ. Let's make that more and more a part of who we are. I want to end with one final verse and one final encouragement. The verse is Proverbs 18, 21. I think about this every time I think about the challenge of how we speak. He says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. <laughs> if, you, if you want a verse to show what a big deal it is, how we speak, death and life. And I think that's, that's the way you impact other people. You can, you can bring spiritual death. You make people worse by the way you talk. Or you can be, give life to people. It also affects your, your death and life, your spiritual death and life. You're either becoming more like Christ or the way you speak. You're becoming less like Christ. A question to ask ourselves as we start a new week, do people see Jesus in my words? If they don't, let's do better. If they don't, let's make sure a year from now people are going to be able to say that. They're going to be able to say, I see Jesus in the way they talk because they talk the way God wants us to talk and they don't talk the way Satan wants us to talk and the role waits us, wants us to talk. Let's make Jesus-centered speech more a part of our lives this week. This, as in every other issue, is something we fail at, it's something we fall short at, and we are blessed 
the message of the gospel. We are blessed to have Jesus Christ who went to the cross to pay for the way we've spoken, the way we treat each other, all the sins we've committed. He dies on the cross to save us from those sins if we will accept the salvation that's found in Him. The gospel is we are saved from all those things and we're transformed to live more like them. If we can help you in any way this morning, uh, you can always let us know. We're happy to talk to you afterwards. We'd love to sit down and pray with you and talk with you about faith. We think your faith and your relationship with God is the most important decision you're ever going to make. And so if you'd like to talk about it, please let us know. We're about to sing a song of invitation. And a song of invitation is an opportunity for anybody who would like to come before the whole church family uh, to let us know that you'd like to take a step of faith. Maybe you're ready to become a Christian today. Hope you're thinking about it. If you haven't been baptized into Christ, I hope you're thinking about it. There's a lot of ways that the world talks about becoming a Christian. I hope we'll do it God's way. And then we know we've got the salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. When we're pierced to the heart with the gospel, when we believe Jesus is the Son of God, what the Bible says to do is repent and be baptized. Maybe you're ready for that step this morning. We'd love to see you repent of your sins, commit to that transformation, and then have your sins washed away in the waters of baptism, rise to walk a new life. Or if you have sin in your life you'd like us to pray about, we would love to pray for you. We want to all leave here right with God if we can. If you'd like us to pray for you, we'd love to do that. If you need to take a step of, take a step of faith publicly this morning, you're invited to come to the front now while we stand and while we sing.